Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking diet culture, mindfulness, and nutrition with Astrid Naranjo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, episode number 75. We are here with Astrid, and I think we want to start by introducing you to our audience and a little bit about your background, your journey, and how you got into nutrition. Okay. Um, well, to, to just give you the short version of my story, because it's a very long version, I am originally from Venezuela and I came to Australia about almost nine years ago. So I did my master's degree here and pretty much I've been doing my online coaching and everything in the past eight years based in Australia. But I started earlier back in Venezuela when I did my bachelor's degree and my fitness career pretty much started when I was 12 years old. So since then, I pretty much got into, into fitness, being a like coach and instructor, a fitness instructor. I was doing personal training as well, teaching classes. I was doing all of that since I probably did. I started about 12, between two, I started to, at 12, but I became a personal trainer at around 15 years old. And pretty much since then, I've been involved in the fitness industry somehow. And that led me to study nutrition. And here I am. So you, wow, that's a, oh, go ahead. I, I've heard you on, <laughs> I've heard you on other podcasts and stuff. I listened to some of your content and you talked a little bit about having kind of a language barrier when it came to move. You did your bachelor's in Venezuela and then your master's yeah. in Australia, correct? So exactly. how was that? How was that experience for you adjusting, learning a new language? And then it's got to be hard. I would think learning science, scientific terminology in a different language, right? Well, it is, it is actually very challenging because when you're in a country where you pretty much learn somehow to speak English, but you really, you don't ever use it. It's like, well, you study English, but you don't really pay much attention to it. You just, well, I passed the exam and that's it. But when you, actually, when you move to another place, especially a country where there is no Spanish, people here don't speak Spanish, you don't have the alternative, like when you go to Florida, where people pretty much speak Spanish, at least 50% of them, the minimum, you will find that you will get away by speaking English or Spanish. Here was the was that wasn't an option. So I had to study a year of actual academic English very intensely to kind of catch up with pronunciation, with the terminology, with just being up to speed to being able to do a master's degree. And I wish like gosh I wish now I had the English I had like I had I had the English back then that I have now because like nowadays I just don't give a shit like if people <laughs> think about anything about my accent 
because a lot of people st still pick up my accent and like, oh, you, 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 your English is, is, is strange. You're like, yes, this is not necessarily totally Australian. This is not from the United States either. It's just like a mix of Australian and Latin and Spanish. So it's, it's just weird, but it's been very, very challenging to be honest. And mostly from the point of view of my confidence, self-confidence and being able to show up and speak to audiences and speak to people without feeling like they're gonna judge me because of my English or judging my own self saying, oh, I'm gonna get stuck. I'm not gonna be able to say what I want to say. And I remember early in the days that I would try to explain something and in my head would run smoothly and perfectly. And then when I was going to speak, it was shocking. I was like, my tongue would get troubled <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to communicate what I wanted to communicate. And obviously as a professional and someone who is slowly trying to have a name out there, like if you don't speak well, who's going to respect you? It's like, I have to learn uh, at least, well, that was my perspective. And that's like, I need to be in a better place and, even if I don't speak well, I have to show confidence. I have to show that I own my my words, that I own what I know. And even my, my, my English is not going to be perfect regardless. I, I will spend years and years and years, and, and my English may improve if I am conscious and self-aware that I want to get better every single day. But if I don't do that, I just not going to be able to communicate as at the level I as I want to do communicate. So that's a pretty long-winded answer to your question, but yeah. It's a great answer and just so to make you feel better, Daron and I both speak English and we don't even do it well. So don't you I think you speak beautifully, so don't worry about that at all. Thank you. <laughs> well, You're welcome. Speak for yourself, Nicole. <laughs> um, so Speaking about talking to an audience, you have a pretty large audience on social media. You've established yourself on social media and now you're on Team BioLane. I really want to kind of get into where the name on social media came from, Anti-Diet Dietitian. It came from my stance on dieting, crash dieting specifically, where people used to, or still, they to just try to think about diet as it, you have to follow something that it is completely out of what would you do for the rest of your life uh, just to achieve a physical goal, like just lose weight or things like that. So people are jumping and hoping diet to diet to diet and not really finding what works for them uh, or really trying to look into the big picture, their relationship with food, their sustainability how the, the things work for them specifically. What is something that they can do that they may be able to do today, tomorrow, and in 10 years time? So I was pretty much in my stance like, I don't want you to diet just for the sake of trying to get into the, bed, the, the, the latest trend because your friend is telling you to do so. I want you to change your lifestyle, your habits and your behaviors and your mindset towards food and in a way that whatever you do 
you're doing it because you are purposely understanding that the changes that you want to implement now are things that you want to see yourself doing for the rest of your life. So that word anti-diet is targeted to that mindset. It's, I think there is a little bit of confusion because nowadays we see these two extremes of anti-diet world and anti-diet culture. And I am not necessarily anti-weight loss. I'm more against anti-diet mindset of like that dieting culture that you have to be losing weight all the time or you have to be hoping between diets to find your purpose or be skinnier because that's how you fit into the society. Those kind of things, I kind of think I am against that. But if you someone needs to lose weight because they, they are finding that's going to improve their lifestyle, their quality of life, their joint pain, their back pain, the, their future seeing their, themselves with their kids, their longevity. Of course, I, I think 100% with these clients to be on board with them and help them. I think it is, what is the mindset for you to lose weight? It is the first thing that I kind of always ask, ask to my clients, why are you losing weight? Why you, do you want to do this? Because if you have a true purpose, that's going to be easy navigated to find the right strategies and find sustainability. But if you're someone really, really lean already and you have a kind of you looking for, the, for an, a, an additional goal of losing weight, you might be able to understand what are the reasons behind it. And there's nothing wrong with just wanting to look good for the summer or feel good naked. And there's nothing wrong. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm really um, an advocate for that mindset and that attitude before you even try to lose weight. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's more, it's not that the goal of weight loss is bad. It's how you are doing it or the methods that you're using to achieve that goal. Would you exactly. say that? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you brought up what I was going to talk about next is we see, like you said, it's almost like, like, just like how there's two different sides of the political spectrum. There's two different sides of the diet spectrum now. And I see this emerging more so in the last few years. And when I see anti-diet and then I see your content and then I'm like, well, this isn't the typical anti-diet content Page. that I see where it's like, you know, we have a whole body of research now about healthy at every size. And I've looked at some of their research and some of the things that they talk about. And, you know, I almost feel like some of the research is biased because we've got the end of the spectrum where we've got decades of research behind obesity and metabolic syndrome and hyperlipidemia and hypertension and risk of cardiovascular disease. And then you've got this opposing force countering it saying, well, no, you can be big and healthy, obese and healthy, and you know, you should be able to eat freely and fruit food freedom. So like, where do you fall in terms of your thoughts on some of that anti-diet culture side of things? Well, as I mentioned before, I think they may have the reasons. And I think the, the thought behind it is probably more targeted to a population that has a very deep ingrained 
background of eating disorders and an unhealthy relationship with food. And they been you dieting for so many, many years that when you try to unplug the thought of taking out the dieting component and that thought of like your worth is attached to your weight and those kind of things, it kind of tries to create a more positive reinforcement in this population to improve the, like you don't need to be on a diet. You can just start working on some behaviors uh, and try to become healthier by just in getting into movement and improving your relationship with food. And that by default might make you healthier. The thing is that people don't just try to play it into that middle concept. They go to the extreme saying, diets don't work. Things, uh, 95% of the population that go into a diet will regain weight and will fail a diet. And diets necessarily don't, like, don't fall into that spectrum. I think any diet, depending on what the concept is for you, what does work mean, like all diets, if it's about weight loss, they will work because we don't have a really, we don't really have a problem of body weight loss. We have a, a problem of body fat or body weight regain. Because the issue is that people are heading and using these diets as a mean to lose weight. And then they don't really think about what's after. What is the diet after diet? What are the behaviors I'm going to implement after I lose weight? So people don't really learn thoughts, behaviors, patterns and habits that they need to continue implementing, even if they have lost weight, even if they have achieved the goal weight. You just don't focus on what you're currently doing. You have to think about the long term. So that is a problem with the majority of people that hope on diets, be hope between diets, just because the mindset is get into a program, lose a weight, finish a program, and that's it. But then the day after is what actually is more important and matters the most. You have to finish whatever you're trying to do, your fatless phase, and have your mindset now, let's do now a maintenance phase. Or let's just work on what I need to do to maintain what I have achieved and internalize all these behaviors and, and, and habits. You really need to pay attention that you're actually learning and implementing while you're losing successfully weight and then implement it to maintain. And that is cognitive self-restraint. You have to know that not all goods, not all foods uh, are going to be just, you can eat freely all the time and eat whatever you want and how much you want. You have the total unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, but it's that finding that balance of maybe that 80-20 guideline that we think about in our heads that 80% of your food should be coming from highly nutrient-dense foods and that other 20% coming from that soul food. So the, these delicious foods you like to incorporate into your diet, but it's finding that balance. And also looking at daily movement, activity, mindset, ongoing self-reflection uh, about how you feel, why you eat, what are, how, like learning to identify your hunger, and fullness cues, all of these things matter 
not just when you're losing weight, but even more when you're maintaining uh, a, a weight that you already worked so hard to achieve. I could not agree with you more. And I think um, I would add to that when you are in quote unquote a diet phase or a weight loss phase, people tend to be numb. They don't when like what you're saying about not thinking and being in tune to how they feel. They're just going into it with the kind of tunnel vision that this is just the goal. I just need to kind of knuckle through white knuckle through and just get to the end result of the weight loss without paying attention to all these layers of things that you're describing. Um, so that when they finish the diet phase and they go back into quote unquote real life or their mindset prior to and after there's nothing, they haven't learned anything along the way. It's that quick fix phase. Yeah, exactly. It's like just trying to get the weight off, but mm -hmm. not, not really thinking about the implications of why they're doing it and how they're doing it mm -hmm. and thinking beyond achieving that weight goal what is going to happen then around this kind of uh, whole kind of diet culture thing and, and, you know, some misconceptions outside of that whole concept, what do you think are the most common misconceptions that you find clients have around dieting or just nutrition and fitness in general? Oh, there's so many. I, I could just spend <laughs> Give me like day. the top three. Um, well, if we think about it is that only weight is the only way to to see progress mm. and people get so fixated on the scale and that is much more beyond the scale that you have to look into when you're looking at progress and I always reinforce that thought of looking at your non-scale progress or non-scale victories and this mm. is very powerful because it is not just a number that is dictating how well you're progressing because your weight some days will go down, some wealth will go up. And it is something that it doesn't go linearly all the time every day. But if you're consistent and you adhere to your program, you're in a calorie deficit consistently, you still will lose body fat. So it is a linear kind of a linear progression in your body fat loss, but your weight will spike along the way. And it's not the most reliable way to just see progress if you don't just look at the bigger picture and look at other variables that may indicate that you actually have a really good progress. Is, is it not, not, not only on the scale, but on your clothing and on your performance, how you feel, your energy, your mood, your overall well-being? And like things that you weren't able to do before, now you're able to do. Like for someone who has a lot of weight to lose and they can go up the stairs, that is actually a good thing. Uh, or like they are able to bend over and touch their toes. That is huge. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm not just looking at someone perhaps like us that are kind of already in the fitness industry or exercise regularly. But we, we, we actually need to think about this other population that actually looking to lose weight because they need to lose weight to improve their quality of life, their longevity, because their knees hurt, their back hurts, they, they, have, they have limitations walking up the stairs or carrying on with the children, playing with the children. That is the population that we need to think about when we look at obesity and the health implications of being obese in the first place. 
So that's where I kind of think we have like this wide category of people trying to lose weight for many different reasons. And for someone at that size or at that weight trying to improve their, their life, there are much more things that we need to pay attention to as well beyond the scale. So that, that would be the first one. And the other one would be that people think that if you ruin, if you messed up one day, it is the end of the world. And we kind of have this all or nothing mindset. Oh, I, I, I ruin it. I messed up. Everything is, is fucked. Now I just give up. I start on Monday. So they kind of one cheat day or one bad day becomes in a bad week or in a cheat week. And if you don't get your shit together or you don't get back on track straight away, things just start rolling and you, you lose that momentum you, you started with. So that is a big thing that I find that I always try to teach my clients. It's not about perfection. I rather you to be consistently not doing your 100%, but you are walking towards that target consistently day to day and giving your hand, giving your 100%, even if you're not achieving your 100%. It's like you're still putting as much as you can without expecting to be perfect. We speak the same to our clients as well. I think we talk about it from a chaos standpoint, like the chaos starts to happen, things get off track track in your day. And instead of just, you know, kind of grounding yourself and talking yourself down and be like, okay, maybe I didn't get breakfast right, but I'm going to just focus on the next meal, which is lunch. And I'm going to get back on track and I'm going to make better decisions instead of, to your point, breakfast didn't go well. And so then the whole week is kind of shot to shit and you give up. It's really just those little changes day to day and, the, and one behavior focus or one habit at a time so that it isn't overwhelming and it isn't out of the realm of reality that you can create really great small changes that lead to really big results in the end. I agree hundred percent. And the other thing I find that is a huge problem is that a lot of people still believe that they need to track their calories burned with the tracker, the, uh, the, the treadmill or like whatever energy expenditure the, the tracker is saying, and they need to eat those calories back. Um, yes. There is so much accuracy, inaccuracy with that, that there is a lot of people thinking, well, I was, I, I was supposed to be in a calorie deficit, but I didn't lose weight. So they blame the calorie deficit, but they forget about that other aspect of their equation that they were adding calories back from probably and potentially very inaccurate device that would was is not able to really tell you exactly how much you actually burn during the day. So I always encourage my clients to focus on what they eat and what they can control rather than focusing on what they will burn and how many calories they should be uh, spending. Obviously, you are putting intentionally some strategies in place, like walking 10,000 steps a day, training four times a week, doing the once or twice cardio, not just for the energy output perspective, but also as a mean to improve your metabolic health or just your cardiovascular and cardiorespiratory system. 
is like just thinking that it's not only about I'm going to exercise, I'm going to walk just because I need to burn calories. You have to switch that mindset and thinking, I want to walk because that is something that goes beyond burning calories. It's going to make me feel better. It's going to, it's one of the biggest tools that will allow me to stay at my weight when I achieve that weight and will help me to get there is also like thinking about how exercise and resistance training is going to help you to build lean body mass, to protect your bones to and cartilages and joints and how that is going to give you so much longevity at the end. You don't think about that when you're just exercising to burn calories. So when you change the perspective and you change the intention, things get slightly different just because the motivation is different you show up not just because you have to burn calories you show up because it is good for you and it's something that is is good for your mental health for your physical health for your metabolic health for everything and that's a super important mindset change that people need to start working towards Yeah. And that's how things become a habit is when you implement them as a lifestyle, right? Instead of just thinking it's something you have to kind of check off the box for the list of things that you think you need to do to accomplish for the day becomes something that you want to show up for. I love that. Do you think, Astrid, that there are differences in terms of mindset around nutrition or behavior around nutrition between men and women? Not not really. I think it it all depends on the, the client's background and the full history with a relationship with food, with training, with exercise, and their own life, their own story. Um, there, there are, I have male clients that they have a struggle with yo-yo dieting their whole life. Whereas I also see women have, have been into ex- experience the same. But I also see on the other spectrum, women being able to be perfectly fine and or men being perfectly fine with their yo-yo dieting and they just have a specific points in time that uh, they are needing to achieve something but they don't really have that story of yo-yo dieting or a poor relationship with with food of their body so things are very very individual but uh, i think it applies for to both genders Uh, i don't think there is that much difference although if we we want to sort of look at proportion maybe women maybe more susceptible because we add extra factors that play in such as menstrual cycle hormonal fluctuations throughout the month that will affect your serotonin and your energy levels and your appetite regulation there will be so many different things that will be affected a bit more because of these hormonal fluctuations in the menstrual cycle that it is likely that women are at slightly higher risk to develop these challenges and these issues more than men. But men still struggle. I think men definitely still struggle. I do think, though, that maybe men are a little bit quieter about it or don't yeah. speak about it as much. I mean, as women, we're very verbal <laughs> about things that may bother us about our bodies. I definitely think women may have more pressure or we put more pressure. Maybe we put more pressure on ourselves to look a certain way from a physique standpoint. But I mean, I guess men would 
men do that too. They just, I find that they're quite a lot more quiet about it. I have male clients that compete when we meet for our sessions and we talk it's in session and then it's kind of, they let it go. But if from a female standpoint, they'll talk to about it with their friends or their family members, maybe they're a little more verbal about the concerns. Yeah, it is. It, it does depend on the person. Yeah. Some of the questions that I actually wanted to dive into was just from a personal standpoint, where were you an athlete when you were growing up? Where did your passion really come from? Other than just being in the personal training industry, was there anything that you personally struggled with that added a layer of excitement or passion in this industry? I know that has happened for Daron and I, so I was just curious. Oh, it's a great question. I am not necessarily into sports. When I grew up, I, I always was kind of active uh, when I was in school I was d- doing different uh, sports uh, like basketball or I would play kicking ball or I would play, I don't know, sometimes I would do gymnastics. Uh, mm-hmm. I would do a little bit of everything, to be honest. But I, I was never 100% passionate about get, becoming a, a like athlete in one of those sports because it, it never ful- gave me that fulfillment personally. And then I started going to the gym and basically my my passion started just to I don't know be be have having a good uh, how do you say a good performance at everything just become Mm -hmm. stronger faster uh, whatever like just be fit for for life Mm -hmm. I think it is maybe it's a bit too general but I, I never I think my my goal always is how can I be better my better version of me and not trying to be a superstar. I just want to be able to do my like 10 pull-ups on my yeah. own with no, mm-hmm. with no one like supporting me, <laughs> uh, being able to run 10 kilometers and feel good, feel, feel comfortable, like not puffy and tired and exhausted and that kind of thing. So my challenges and my goals have been always against myself. Mm-hmm. rather than comparing myself to others and one of the biggest passions I always had was to teach people and especially when I started in the fitness industry and I was doing group fitness classes I loved when I would have a crowd behind me and like I would uh, like people would scream in the classes and see that I, they were enjoying it and they were following my my class and my instructions my choreography it was so so like I, I just talk about it and I feel so excited to to remember those things that was the kind of thing that I it, it fulfilled myself a lot Be, being able to help people and teach the the right way probably uh, teach the right form to do mm-hmm. exercise do things that were fun rather than just feel like a punishment. But I also like that sort of military background and say, like, let's do it. This this work hard. Like my classes weren't easy, yes. and I would <laughs> I would push them very very uh, to the very other extreme. But that's that's something that I really enjoy as well. Try to find that that happy medium. And I did struggle with my relationship with food, especially when I became a very well known personal trainer. It was where my physique started to become something so, so key because I was my only marketing. I was a a public image. I was also 
a role model for so many women and for so many people that, and I was a dietitian already, how come you wouldn't have or look certain way? So then it, become, it became an obsessive thing to be like fit and show my abs. And you know how you have to look when yeah, you're absolutely. a public There's, image. Yeah, that pressure is real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I struggled with that a lot. And that led me to have a very unhealthy relationship with food and a very unhealthy relationship with my body. And that led me to bulimia and to have that all or nothing mindset, to have that bad foods can be in your diet. I couldn't eat certain things. I wouldn't eat. Nowadays, it is my, it's, it's part of my preferences. But before I would say I wouldn't eat a donut because I, even when I started trying it or eating it already, I felt like it, cellulite was growing like out forming. of my Yeah. <laughs> yeah, straight away. Yeah. And it was something so uncomfortable that I would eat it because of the taste and straight away run to the toilet and try to get rid of it. So I had such a stressful relationship with, with food and I still would go and if, if I could, I would binge on those things because I was restricting and depriving myself in mm-hmm. the first place. So it was a very tricky place that uh, I, am, I am happy I, went ab- I was able to get out of it Absolutely. and thrive from that. And nowadays, obviously, I am in a much better place and I look at everything with a different perspective and use that as a way to learn from not just from from myself, but know that there is there is no harm as long as you're able to find that flexible dieting. Before yeah. that wasn't a thing. You had you had to eat clean and you had to eat broccoli and chicken all the time to stay lean. But we didn't know that flexible dieting was a real thing and calories are keen by the end at the end of the day. And you may still be able to lose weight as long as you're in a calorie deficit regardless whether you still add it into your day a piece of chocolate or something you enjoy and there is not like true distinctions well you obviously know that there are foods that are more nutritious and there are other foods that are not as nutritious but that doesn't mean like because they are less nutritious they are bad or they they should be banned from your diet absolutely i always say that like you're saying, calories are king first and foremost, and then following a protein centered approach to make sure that you're satiated, make sure that you're, if you're lifting weights, that you're able to build adequate muscle, which will increase your resting metabolic rate. And, you know, this whole cascade of effects that you have around, you know, a protein centered approach, and then kind of split up your carbs and fat, however you want. And if you want to have a donut, just account for it within the parameters that you set for yourself and you'll be fine. Outside of that, I think the last thing that I want to ask you, Astrid, is what do you think are the most important factors that people should think of other than, like we just mentioned, calories and protein when trying to set up a successful nutrition and fitness program for themselves? I think it is it, what, what comes to mind is finding what is sustainable to you in different... For me, I like there are four pillars. I have... The pillar of your nutrition, obviously, where you really pay attention to your calorie intake and your protein intake, you make it your priority. The second pillar is mindset, your relationship with food and how you you set yourself up, you set yourself for success by 
not having this or nothing mindset, being able to stay in tune with your body and with your hunger and appetite cues. In, a, in addition to that, I see another pillar, which is resistance training and physical activity as such, where you really want to engage with regular resistance training to not, not just to lose weight, but also to build muscle for longevity, to make sure you, even if you're in a weight loss or in a fat loss phase, you're preserving as much as possible your lean mass and ensuring that what, I, what you're actually losing is body fat. And the last pillar for me is normal or day-to-day regular habits, including just hydration, sleep, walking on a regular basis, whether that for you is 5,000 steps, 8,000 steps, 10,000 steps, whatever, whatever is realistic to you and you can do on a regular basis. So movement, sleep and hydration. So I see these four pillars that I always take into account where I'm looking at a sustainable program that is not just to lose weight, but to implement habits, behavior change, and sustainability. I have two questions. Can I ask two questions real quick? Yeah, sure. Okay. What is your favorite type of, or not, well, let's say favorite exercise. Like if you could pick one exercise in the gym to do right now this morning, what would you pick? That is tricky for upper body or lower body? Whatever you like. Well, I I like an exercise for upper body, which is lateral raises for Mm -hmm. my shoulders. I really like that exercise. For lower body, I like deficit deadlifts or a trap bar deadlifts. So I like those two. But I do also like low bar deep squats. And I also like (laughs) good mornings. Oh, good one. That's a good oh, I, one. I actually, I don't know. Ever since I started I working out when you I was 17, <laughs> I just, it just doesn't feel right. Good mornings to me, but that's just me. I know a lot of people that love them. They're a very effective exercise. Just not for me. <laughs> I, to be honest, it never felt right to me until I learned the proper way to do it. It always felt like it was pushing way too much in my low back and it will just trigger uh, back pain straight away but I was I, I wasn't doing it right until I learned I had to put the bar very very low, low. like a low bar mm-hmm. squat and being able to stick it in there move my elbows to secure the bar and rather than bending forward I was pushing my hip back yeah. like if I was to close a door with my butt and those techniques when I learned them and it, it changed the way I was doing that and performing that exercise. Man, it feels so different. I actually feel it where I should be feeling it. And obviously I don't go crazy with weight. I pick a way that I feel comfortable, that is not cha- it's challenging, but it's not that heavy that can be a, 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 probably a danger for, for me to get injured if I get stuck coming back up. So I generally do... 40 kilos and at the most 50 kilos and I stay there. Okay. My second question. Now this is very important. Are you a dog lover or a cat lover? A dog lover. Oh. I actually have a, Ooh, a, no. <laughs> a, chocolate, a chocolate Labrador. Oh, you do a girl or a boy? It's a boy. He's and what's being, his name? He's guapo. Guapo. Oh, it means so handsome. Oh, 
Yeah. I only ask because Daron has a dog and I have cats and he always makes fun of my cats. So I like cats, but I I, <laughs> I have I have troubles understanding them and <laughs> trusting them. So okay. that I is like fair. them for a little bit. And perhaps if they grew up with you yeah. since very little, that is a different story. But if they are completely a stranger and you see them, they are unpredictable yeah. and weird so I guess it's (laughs) you gotta grow they gotta grow with you since very very tiny to to make sure they kind of learn your personality and they kind of become part of your family yeah there's trust there that that's fair they are very you know it's it's interesting at Thanksgiving dinner my sister-in-law's a vet and she's like well cats and dogs are great for different reasons and I was like I'm going to put you on the spot now. If you if one of them had to not exist for the rest of eternity, which one would it be? And Nicole, the answer was cats. So Damn you all no. dogs are better. <laughs> well, Astrid, thank you so much. Astrid, I don't want to take one up too more much question. Where do we find you on Instagram? Yes. Yeah, fi- you can find me. in. I have two accounts. I created one uh, that is mostly to p- publish a Spanish content and English content and my posts or everything I do on my YouTube channel. But the, my main page is anti-diet underscore dietitian. The one that I have in addition to that is called to coach nutricional is in Spanish. Um, my YouTube channel, which uh, is kind of slowly getting momentum with all these interviews and putting weekly and I think it is putting so much or giving so much value to a lot of people that I think it is, it is a good place to go to as well. Wonderful. And where, what is the uh, account on uh, YouTube? Um, I just find my name. I, I don't know. How is it called? I think just Astrid Naranjo APD. All right. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming Thank on you. Astrid. We my really pleasure. appreciate you. And we appreciate all the content that you're putting out. I think it's very valuable content for people to see. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 